indeed, I think we are returning to our study in the book of Acts. However, this morning's lesson is from the book of Galatians for a couple of reasons. As you remember our study in Acts, Paul, where we are in the study of Acts, Paul had just finished his first missionary journey, had a council meeting in Jerusalem to settle a few questions about the law of Moses and its influence in the new Christian church. And for all practical purposes and all biblical purposes, the account was settled. And it is believed there are some people who, one of the controversial things about the book of Galatians is that there are, the scholars are having a hard time finding about when, figuring out about when this particular book was written. And the reason we're addressing it this morning is because I have taken, looking at the evidence, I have taken the position that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, or the Galatian churches, because Galatians was the whole region of Asia Minor. His first missionary journey was taken through southern Galatia. Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, you remember us reading about those? That was in southern Galatia. So all those churches were Galatian churches. So I'm going on the point or taking the position that he wrote to these churches in Galatia between his first and second missionary journeys. And the second reason he wrote, the set, well, the second point or reason I'm looking at this this morning is because he wrote for a very specific reason. Some of these Galatians were falling to the influence of the Judaizers, the very issue that was settled at the council meeting in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, they were beginning to pick up on. Allow me to read the text, and then we will get into the message. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach, you, preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now 
For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Allow me to pray for God's blessing before we go further. Lord, this is just an introduction to a letter, but there is enough here to help us, so open our eyes to see, open our hearts to receive, that we may be equipped, that we may have understanding and knowledge for our own faith and our own strength and our own witness, our own faithfulness to our Lord and Savior. It is because of our love for him and for his glory we pray. Amen. The main theme in the book of Galatia, the book of the Galatians, is justification by divine grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Against, And it is a treatise, it is a letter, it is a response against the Judaizers. When I talk about Judaizers, I talk about those who were of the Hebrew faith, Old Testament law, Mosaic ceremony, all of that, insisting that these new believers of the Messiah, these new followers of Jesus, must keep the Old Testament law. But that was not so. There was much debate and much discussion, and the council at Jerusalem had already determined that that was not necessary for the Gentiles. All of the ceremonies had been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And it was upon the grace offered through him and upon his righteous life, faith in his righteous life, that all Christians, both Jew and Greek, would be living from that day forward. The Judaizers, these Old Testament teachers who were trying to say that if you want to follow Jesus Messiah, you must keep the Old Testament law, were trying to influence the people by convincing them that you've You've got to win your salvation by works. You've got to keep the law. The church at Galatia had begun turning away from trusting in the power of God and his word and returned to a religion that focused on effort, by the, of the, the effort of their own works. That's very often a big temptation for most of us. Even the self-help gurus, the, the men and women who have all of these conferences to motivate you, to get you going, try and give you this discipline to organize your life. And you keep these certain things in order and, and you will have success. And we have a tendency to kind of translate that and bring that into our Christian walk as well. Keep these disciplines and you will have success in Jesus. I believe we should keep the law. I don't believe Christ obliterated the law when he fulfilled the law. We are to keep the law of God. The Lord Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Keeping the law is an expression of love. It does not earn us anything. It just shows our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the church at Galatia, Galatia, the Galatian churches, had begun turning away from trusting 
in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They began turning away from trusting in God and what he had promised in Christ Jesus. And they began focusing on their own works. At least I can measure this. At least I know when I trip up. It doesn't work that way. I want to look at four points this morning. The authority of God's word, the spiritual power of God's word, the presumption of self-righteousness, and the clear condemnation upon self-righteousness. Basic points, they kind of complement one another. Two good ones, two ones you need to be careful of. When the Bible talks about the authority of God's word, particularly in the New Testament, there are two words that we find in the Greek, but are very often just translated into one word in English. The word is power. And you need to be very careful. Well, you need to be aware because our word for power, our English word power, carries with it a connotation or a meaning of strength or ability and also authority. If I had committed a crime and it was discovered and a sheriff came in these doors and said, Mr. Kinney, we have a warrant for your arrest, that man carries with him power to put me in handcuffs and take me out of this sanctuary. Doesn't mean that he's stronger than I am. He has the authority to do that. And if he's bigger than I am, he also has the strength, power, and ability to do that. So we need to understand those two different points. The authority of God's word has exousia in the Greek, authority, and also has power, dunamis. There's that word we get the word dynamite from. The Apostle Paul is appealing to the authority of God's word in our text. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul starts off this letter by saying, My authority is not for man. My authority is not from someone who has sent me by another man. In other words, some governor didn't send someone, a messenger to me to say, to give you this message. My authority, my word, my message is from God. And he also tells us that this is the same God who had the power, dunamis, to raise Christ from the dead. And he also has the power, exousia, it's not in the text, but it is there in context, to deliver us from our sins. God has the only, is the only one that has the authority to expunge your sins from an eternal record. 
in order that you may stand before him righteous. And the Apostle Paul is appealing to this kind of authority. Recently in our newly formed presbytery, there was a man who had started posting some videos online. Nothing wrong with that. But he began these videos by saying he was speaking for our presbytery. And we had to caution him about that because he wasn't given the authority to speak for the presbytery. We counseled him, reminded him that he speaks for the word of God as an ordained preacher, a teaching elder. He speaks for the word of God. And in that, he should tremble and be very careful what he teaches and what he preaches. Every minister of the word of God should be very aware of that. He's not bringing motivational sermons to help you be encouraged. He's bringing the gospel. He's bringing the authority and power of the word and spirit of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The minister of the gospel should realize that the message he brings is not his own. It is God's message. And that word has authority from God himself. When we look at the words of Jesus Christ, after he had just admonished his disciples while he was in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he died when Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Christ the Son recognized the authority from on high. And Jesus was a preacher. And we follow in that tradition, in those steps, or at least we try our best to. Christ himself acknowledged that authority. Deny that authority deny the authority of God and you will not be forgiven. That is the unpardonable sin. To attribute the authority of God to the works of this world or the works of Satan. The spiritual power of God's the spiritual power of God's word is also important. It, has, it also has ability and right. God is the only power that can spiritually raise a dead soul to life. Man's reason will not. There is a ministry of apologetics. There are many apologeticists who have lived and who are living. Frank Turek, Josh McDowell, and his son as well, Greg Kukul, Lee Strobel, there are many others. The late Francis Schaeffer was 
and apologeticists. But nearly every one of them would say that their only effort is to disarm the arguments that these people, that unbelievers have against, against Scripture. And some of them come with arguments of science. Some of them come with arguments of Scripture. Some of them come with arguments of social matters. They do not win people to the Lord Jesus Christ by reason or by argument. They disarm their arguments and then begin sharing the gospel, the word of God. That is the only thing that has the spiritual power to cling to someone's heart and mind, to convict them of their sin, to convince them of their wrong, and to convert them into believers. If you're sharing the gospel with anyone, be sure and leave them. Greg Kugel says, I like to put a bug in their ear. Leave them with a word from the Lord that they will not forget. Sometimes while you're witnessing to them, you might have to repeat a certain passage, depending on the person, a certain passage that would be applicable to them so that the Holy Spirit would remind them again and again and again. It might be about them being sinners. It might be about them being rebellious. It might be about, that's why you need to be equipped with Scripture and with the Word. Use that sword of the Spirit in your witnessing. You can only disarm some arguments with reason, but you're not going to convert the soul without the power of the Word of God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians also said, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, in which, and in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among for your sake. Also, the Apostle Peter wrote, we did, not allow, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual power and there is an authoritative power that comes with the Word of God and with the message of the gospel of grace. Therefore, I'm going to borrow a letter from that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. Therefore, 2 Timothy 2, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by the appearing, of his, appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. Or in this translation, I had memorized it another way. In this translation, it's a complete patience in teaching. The Bible has power. The Bible has authority to make people, according to what Paul just said, uncomfortable. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. 
The Word of God is supposed to make people uncomfortable because it's not supposed to leave them in their sins. It's supposed to set them free from their sins. It's almost like Suppose we lived 160 years ago. Slavery had not yet been ended, had not been stopped. And I was a preacher who would like to encourage the slaves who might be up in the balcony of my congregation because they did separate them in a different place when they would come to worship. And I would praise them for doing so well and working in the field so well and being faithful to their masses. But I never talked about their chains. I never offered them freedom. God would not consider me a very good preacher. There are people who are bound in sin. They are chained to their addictions. They are chained to their lust. They are chained to darkness. And the gospel and the authority and spiritual power of God that can set them free. And we must preach in such a way that makes people uncomfortable in order that they might be set free and rejoice in the grace and mercy that is found in God. We must do that. The church, churches in Galatia were turning away from that. And Paul was alarmed. He was worried. He was concerned. They had within themselves or were accepting within themselves a presumption of self-righteousness. When you presume something, it's similar to assuming you're presupposing or you're imposing your own idea or understanding upon something or someone else. This is my idea about how I can get to heaven, so this is what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter what Christ has done for me. It doesn't matter what God's Word has done for me or says about me. I'm going, this, this has to be acceptable. You are being presumptuous before the authority of the scriptures before the word of the Lord. In Psalm 19, that psalmist wrote, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. And in the Hebrew, the word is more closely translated rebelliousness. If I refuse to accept the word of God, my heart is in full rebellion. If I refuse to accept that God exposes my sin and my shame, I am in full rebellion and just doing nothing but puffing up myself in pride to say, you should accept me as I am. God might accept you where you are, but he's not going to leave you there because he will not accept you as you are. You must first be cleansed. And the only way you're going to be cleansed by putting faith in Christ Jesus and his shed blood for your behalf. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a new and different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
The churches of Galatia were listening to false prophets. The churches of Galatia were following a different gospel. The churches of Galatia were following a distorted truth, twisted, perverted, wrong. It was works righteousness. They were saying, well, God has given us the law. We can follow the law and, and kind of step our way back into his good graces if we are obedient to the law. No. No one can do that. If we go deeper into the book of Galatians, we see in chapters 3 through 5 that the law does not save the law reveals guilt. It, it, it sets a standard. This is God's holy, perfect standard. It does do that. It shows what is expected of us, of us, but it also shows us where we fail or where we fall short. It reveals guilt. It exposes sin. And the law demands justice. We're all guilty. Every one of us. But they had the idea that the law was there to help them get better or become acceptable if they just kept the law. It was works righteousness. And you see religions around the world that still do this. Those, some religions, some denominations claim under Christianity, can do and teach that you can be good enough. They are wrong. Other religions that do not claim Christ at all insist that you can be good enough. They are wrong. But when we look at the church and we see it happening in the church, we stop and ask ourselves, we have to ask, at least I ask myself, Lord, how in the world and why in the world does this happen? Why do people get so distracted and, and wander away from the truth of the gospel? We see it happen quite a lot. Christians following works righteousness. It just leads them into darkness. It leads them into error. It leads them away from the truth and the grace and the mercy and the joy that we find in Christ. How does it happen? Why does it happen? Quite frankly, if we... In my mind, and my understanding, if we boil it down to one reason, people come to this place where they do not see any... I don't know why people assume that we must have spiritual excitement in Christianity. They don't see any spiritual excitement in Christianity, so they figure the church must be doing something wrong. And so any adjustment or change or extra effort tends to bring them off point, away from pursuing Christ and pursuing their own works or their own program or their own defined effort. Christians say, I don't feel the Spirit. Something must be wrong. 
if you don't feel the Spirit, and I have no problem at all with feeling good as a Christian. I have no problem with expressing joy from the heart, within my soul, because of what Christ has done for me. Christians seem to be so low-key. And that's okay. There still should be a joy and contentment within that is found in Christ Jesus. Christmas Eve, Carice and I just, it was a nice day. We just got out. Let's just go deliver four Christmas cards to our neighbors and just wish them a Merry Christmas. And the retired pastor lives two doors up from us. We went up, knocked on their door, and wished them, just wanted to give them a Christmas card and wish them Merry Christmas. And he was so excited to see us. He jumped off, out on that porch and hugged both of us. And he said, don't worry, I don't have COVID. And invited us in. Had a wonderful time visiting on their couch. He's more of a charismatic leaning. That's okay. He is excited about what Christ is and, and is willing and ready and able to share it with anyone and everyone. Sometimes I wish I were more like him. And next week we start New Year's resolutions. So you might see some efforts to change toward that end. What would you think? Sometimes we wonder why we don't see spiritual excitement. Why don't I feel my Christianity? Why don't I feel my faith? Something's not right. If something's not right, you're not in the Word. Fess up now. You know that when you don't get in the Word, you're going to deal with some depression. You're going to deal with some blues. You're going to deal with some melancholy. And you're going to wonder where the Lord went. He didn't go anywhere. Perhaps you did. We need to regularly be open to our Lord Jesus Christ. To pray. To share our struggles. To read in his word. Even to study. That's where you will be reassured of his presence in, in a spiritual sense. Reassured of his presence in your life. That's where you will learn to trust him deeply when you're in trial. And you will know that you have not been abandoned, but you have been called to learn some new lessons for life. To be equipped for future duty. We aren't supposed to be adopting new programs. We aren't supposed to try and figure out what's wrong with the Bible. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. We're supposed to be preaching and teaching the truth of God, praying and witnessing for the souls of the lost.
But there are people, there were people in the church, churches of Galatia who were trying to lead these people away. They were false prophets. There are people in the modern church who are guilty of perverting the gospel, presenting a new law to follow, not necessarily the Old Testament law, not necessarily the Ten Commandments. They're not even trying to teach the Mosaic law, but there are people in the New Testament church today who are trying to bring a new law, and it is called the law of social justice. Remember what we said about the law of God. The law of God does not save. It reveals guilt. It reveals sin or exposes sin and demands justice. This law of social justice does the same thing. It does not save. It reveals guilt. It exposes sin and it demands justice. But it's different. The guilt and the sin is different. The law of social justice tells you that you're too white, you're too privileged, you're too straight, you're too rich, you're too oppressive, you're too sexist. You should be guilty just for being you. You should be ashamed just for being you. The law of social justice offers no grace and no forgiveness. But that is the new gospel that's being proclaimed in a lot of pulpits, not just in America, but around the world today. We need to be aware of it. There are churches and pastors in America today. I saw a recording one two weeks ago, a church in Charlotte. The liturgy, the responsive prayer, they were having people read asking the congregation to pray apologizing for being white. But we do not see any place or any expression for forgiveness. There's no unity coming together. There's no new life. There's no joy. There's no gladness. There's only guilt. There's only shame. The Apostle Paul said to the church of Galatia, and he could write the same thing to the church of America. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is, any, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are some who want to distort the gospel of Christ. Be aware of this. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. The Apostle Paul is very aware of Deuteronomy's law. By the testimony of two or three witnesses, let every matter be established, so he repeats it. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. The word here is anathema. The word literally means give them over 
to the judgment of God. Give them over to the condemnation of the Most Holy. Putting it more bluntly, let them be damned. There are false prophets in this world, and as our Lord told us in John chapter 10, they have come only in to steal and to kill. They have not come to help. They have not come to nurture. They are not shepherds. They are thieves. Paul asks these people, these churches in Galatia, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And there are a lot of men who, and a lot of women who step into the pulpits on Sunday morning and they are seeking the approval of people. They don't care two cents worth what God thinks. They are seeking the approval of people. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The solution is to hold yourself personally accountable to the word of God. You, brother and sister in Jesus, you are to hold yourself accountable to the Word of God. And hold your pastor and your elders accountable to the Word of God. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to study. Don't be afraid to read. Examine it yourself. There was a time in the Christian church where it was forbidden for people in the pews to even own a Bible. That's what the Reformation was about. The Catholic Church did not allow people to interpret Scripture on their own. The Catholic Church wanted people to be told what to believe. Hence, there was a lot of error. Error but because of people who now have the freedom to study the Word of God and to ask questions, many of them don't, and they should. Take advantage of freedom you have in Christ Jesus, and that you may have joy and gladness in, in knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you may rejoice eternally knowing that you stand as a righteous child before a God who is your heavenly Father, who is your creator. And rejoice knowing that you can feed spiritually on the truth of his word and find wisdom there and help to remain faithful and steadfast and strong and that your life might bear fruit that you can share the gospel and that your life might bear fruit. Shall we pray?
Lord, again, we are thankful for your word and its truth and its power. And we ask that you might use this in our lives, in my life. Help us forever to be faithful to you. It is for your glory we pray. Amen. Let us continue.